Hello and welcome to the Bears, Birds, and Brews podcast. This is a show about the Chicago Bears, the Atlanta Falcon, Kraft's beer. My name is Asa Wakani. My co-host is Nabil Lalani. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, <laughs> took my line. <laughs> sorry, I did take his line. But it's okay because we got a very special guest today who's going to have plenty of line to talk about. Uh, Mr. Special Guest, please tell the people who you are, man. Uh, I'm Nabil Lalani. Oh, wait. Oh, that was your line. Sorry, I was taking it too. Um, no, I'm uh, Will McFadden, former reporter for AtlantaFalcons.com, current uh, reporter for the Falcoholic. So very excited to get into some Falcons conversation. I'm drinking Wicked Weed Brewing Milk and Cookies uh, Stout, 8.5 nice. alcohol by volume. Doesn't really taste like milk, kind of tastes like cookies. So <laughs> that's my quick uh, scouting report on this particular beverage in case anybody was interested. I mean, 8.5 we're about to get a little wild i'm, I'm thinking uh because <laughs> actually my i'm also drinking it's an 8.5 i believe as well 8.1 so you got me beat uh new anthem double ipa it's called on consent it has a bunch of um you know different hops mosaic citra i'm not an ipa guy oh you're not interesting no. interesting big stout guy or a different type of beer or just whatever you find in your fridge uh, i just don't like the hops i don't like the bitterness so i, gotcha. I like a more a more smooth beer maybe like an oakier uh darker beer is usually what i nice. tend to, to lean towards okay um check out schwartz beer uh they're, they're kind of like they're lighter but they have it they have that flavor i mean if you ever been to i don't know what part of town you're in but a good word has a great schwartz beer it's very drinkable but it has a lot of flavor good word is uh like a five minute walk from my house so i'm there every weekend so i think we're gonna have to connect over the weekend for sure <laughs> yeah good word's great a lot of, a lot of falcons people yes. have uh been to good word a time or two Huh. Well, that's good to good know. To know. <laughs> um, hell yeah. Well, we love good words. So clearly, you know what it is. And then just to round this out on that, I'm actually drinking an IPA. So this is uh, from Creature Comforts. It's the Brew for One IPA. And this is part of a charity effort. I believe. I mean, if I hope I get this right, but from what I understand, this is a limited release can and it's part of a charity effort. So if you want to know more about this charity and the proceeds that come with uh, or where the proceeds go to go to getcurious.com and uh creature conference well you went to school in athens is that right you went to uga i did yeah the uh, glass i'm drinking out of is a terrapin glass so oh okay just nice. got two combos right here going nice. <laughs> i got my georgia beer day glass over here um so I, i'll get pictures of this at bears birds and brews and so i'll get a good i got twisted knot <laughs> brewery um, in virginia Oh yeah. Did you, uh, have you ever been to any of those tap rooms up in Athens? Uh, most of them. Yeah. Creature Comfort, uh, Terrapin. Terrapin was, Creature Comforts was just kind of being built when, when I was graduating, uh, field, not field parties, but just pre-gaming for a field party or maybe before going downtown. If, if there wasn't a date night or anything going on, people would just go hang out over there before they, um, stopped doing the stamps. Okay. Yeah, it was, it was a lot more popular and then they it wasn't you get six free beers for right. like 20 bucks now they're making you pay by the beer which kind yeah, of I, made it die down a little bit but not too not too much terrapins an institution up in athens i, I used to love the old uh, brewery laws not great for breweries but it was great for me you know go go down 20 dollars, come back don't remember where i was so but that was a different time oh yeah man um, that's the goal right right definitely so definitely. um okay so will so i mean we're gonna we're gonna drink beer all episode long so as your beer chips as the flavor profile changes please feel free to chime in with your thoughts on that especially with the stouts we always like to let the stouts you know ride those out for a little bit um okay so you went to ga so why don't you tell the people uh for those of you who don't know why don't you tell the people like who, who you are what you've done how you've gotten to this point in the career and you know things of that nature yeah so i grew up um in marietta so around the east Cobb area 30 40 minutes north of atlanta um so we moved there when i was three came up all through high school over there big atlanta sports fan uh my parents had season tickets to games braves games so i went to the 90 when was the whenever the world series was here the home run derby uh which sammy sosa and barry bonds i think put on a pretty big show that year and then I never really grew up a Georgia fan, mm -hmm. but a lot of my friends a lot. So that's where I found myself and it turned out to be the perfect call. I met my <laughs> now wife there. Um, I got to play club rugby um, at Georgia. Nice. I worked for the Georgia football team for a year, but mainly because of journalism. And then also I got a second major in political science. So from there, I was looking to see, obviously in the journalism profession, where could I start? And I was lucky enough to get an internship with the AJC, specifically dealing with audience insights, analytics, 
basically how did we interpret what readers are telling us? And that was kind of a new thing for a newspaper at the time. And right around the time my internship was about to end, they were launching two new college football verticals called, called Dog Nation and SEC Country. And so mm. I was one of the very first people to kind of join that project. And in that capacity, I got to wear a ton of different hats, uh, editor, reporter, high school football recruit reporter. Um, you know, I did a lot of the managing of the editorial budgets, balanced the analytics, of course. Um, from there, I wrote for Saturday Down South for a year before I got a phone call from the Atlanta Falcons nice. asking, you know, I had applied to a job, went through a long interview process to end up landing there. But got there before the 2017 season. So Falcons are fresh off of a Super Bowl appearance. Uh, expectations are high. Matt Ryan's the MVP. And, you know, I'm sure we'll I'll be able to bring up some stories, everything throughout uh, this interview, not necessarily need to recap, I guess, four years of the Falcons. But from there, I got a chance to attend every press conference, open locker room, go to the games, all of the really fun stuff, uh, see all the practices at close training camp, and really got a crash course in just how to play the game, how these teams operate, what coaches think, how players think, what do they like, dislike, all of that fun stuff. And now I'm with the Falcoholic, uh, getting a chance to kind of continue to share some of that knowledge for the team that I know more about than probably any in the world. <laughs> um, nice. So, That's awesome. Yeah. And quick question, I guess, are, would you say the Falcons are your favorite team? Yeah, right. I mean, you talked about being a sports fan, but would you say that they're your favorite team still? I mean, now that I'm back on the outside, yeah. It, yeah. When, I, when I worked for them, it was weird. Even working for the team, I tried to keep uh, an air of journalistic integrity. You know, like that, that was what my training was, is factual, objective. You don't kind of play one way or the other, especially, but that can be hard when you're working for a team. And mm -hmm. obviously being inside of the building, people are reading what you're writing. People understand what everybody's writing. They're aware of, of all of that. And it's, you're going to get more of an earful if you're right down the hall from somebody than you would be if you're in a completely different office building. So while I was in there, I did my very best to just say, look, my best defense is the truth, or this is objective, or, you know, if you don't mm -hmm. like this stat, like, that's on you to change it. That's not on me to not write about it. Um, so I, I tried to separate myself from I'm a Falcons fan, even though that was what we talked about pretty much every single day in the building is what are our fans thinking about? So mm -hmm. I had that like one hat that I could put on, but for most of my job, I tried to take that off. Now that I'm back on the outside though, yes, I can say that I'm a Falcons fan. Nice. Um, do you have any quick, I got one or two things I want to add to anybody. You got any quick thoughts real fast? Um, no, you can go ahead. We hit my thoughts. Yeah. Okay. So I guess the one thing I was going to say, so you and I will, I I don't know how much you remember, but when you started with Dog Nation, you and I exchanged some emails because I worked for AJC around that same time. So like really. 12, 2013, 2014, I was actually on the sports desk doing digital production for AJC.com. Uh, yeah, from like 2012 to 2013, maybe 2014. I don't even know exactly how long. Probably a lot longer than that, to be honest. But I was there <laughs> just before Dog Nation started and then when it started and right after. So like, you know, Ray Cox and Rudy yeah. and, and I mean, just a great team of, I think mentorship that we had to lean on to learn from, uh, especially it was like our first introduction to the sports industry. And I don't know if we could have asked for anybody better in this town to like learn from, to, you know, uh, get advice from and, and follow their lead. So that was really cool. So I remember your name early on and pretty much early on, you had this record like, okay, Will gets it. Like he understands what needs to be done, what the urgency is, what the story <laughs> is, how to report it. And so I think like early on, everybody kind of knew like, okay, this guy is good talent. And of course, the rest of your career played out such that people know you as like, hey, Atlanta Falcons is calling you. Like, you know, you're doing something right if they're calling you and telling you to come work for us. So, um, well, I, I appreciate yeah. that. I, I always felt like I was a snot nosed kid in, in the room because <laughs> I was just out of college and I had a is and I, I I don't know if I necessarily read the room well all the time at that age. You know, I just came running in and was like, what if we try this? Or like, we're really doing all this stuff like in college and people who have been writing for 35, like longer than I've been alive are just looking at me like, who the hell is this? Yeah. Well, <laughs> so I'm, I I'm glad people you, liked uh, me. Yeah, for sure. I can tell you I was that guy. So that's why they didn't interview because I was that guy. We're like, who is this guy? <laughs> what is he doing? So you are all good. Man. Um, And so, yeah, so we appreciate that. And then I guess before, you know, we want to talk Falcons all day. So Oh, that's my team. I love that. Team. I almost hate that team. It's not easy sometimes, you know. Um, but is there anything like working on the side that is different now or that like, like what, you know, I mean, it's hard to say like, oh, what did you learn or because it's such a broad question, but like being on the inside versus being on the outside and then now being on the outside again, like what is your mentality now other than the fandom part we talked about? 
just a moment ago. Um, I mean, I think I would be I, uh, like something that you always hear, but it's a little bit different seeing it in practice day in and day out is just how often so like everybody's at the facility and there would be times where I would be, you know, I didn't get there nearly as early as, you know, even frankly, some of the staff, like I, I rolled in a little bit uh, later, but the players were there always at 5am, 6am for when last season, when we were getting the every Monday, we would go in and have COVID testing that was mandatory for everybody in the building. Players did daily testing, but kind of non-essential staff at least had to do once a week testing on Mondays. And so they would send out a schedule of everybody's time because you would basically roll up, get out of your car, do a quick test, get back in your car leave and the whole process took a minute and a half so they would schedule maybe 15 20 people in 10 minute increments throughout the day and the very first slot of people were supposed to be there at like 4 45 in the morning wow. and times this was a monday morning after like a west coast trip and so they don't even land until 2 30 a.m they're driving straight to the facility to get their test and then probably catching a nap in their office and then going to work so Damn. just the times where where i would maybe leave late uh, working on something or whatever, and my car was one of the last in the parking lot, I would still always notice, you know, DQ and Thomas Dimitri were still there. And so just the hours that the players, that the coaches put in, the number of meetings that they're in, um, you know, how kind of regimented some of their stuff is, you know, are you getting training or treatment three, four times a day? If so, maybe you are grabbing lunch on the go, taking it back to the, the trainer's room to just get a massage or get your, get stretched out or something. So not, not only like how often they're in there, but just how separate everybody's day could kind of feel while being in the same place. And based on what mm -hmm. you're working on, you know, is it a big team day? Are all the team uh, guys together, special teams, offense, defense, and then the whole unit? Is it a really kind of a skill position day where the linebackers are over here doing this, the tight ends are over here doing this? Like all of, I think it's something you hear about is just being an NFL player and an NFL coach and scout is a 24 seven job, but at least while the season is happening, off season, everybody scatters to the wind and for good reason. But once kind of training camp, camp kicked off to the moment that you know everybody cleans out their lockers, people are there probably, I don't know, 18 of the 24 hours in a day. And that's, wow. it's kind of crazy to see it in person. Wow. Yeah. And I know like, um, I think that started like a long time ago with like, what was it? Um, Dick Vermeil, who was like never left the facility. And it's kind of been the standard for most teams ever since then. I know like uh, Bruce Aarons tries to like balance that, but still like they're always at the facility. Mm -hmm. And I think that's part of the reason you're seeing team or players when they're going through CBA negotiations. That's why they're basically saying we want less practice. We want less contact. We want let, like they're already there all the time anyway. And so mm -hmm. now they're trying to negotiate just some times to get away. It's not as though these guys aren't working hard or, or whatever. Some of them have trainers that they prefer elsewhere that they, if they don't have to come back to the facility as early as they usually do. And, and now OTAs are more voluntary and they can get more of this rehab time with guys that they trust and teams they've built and things like that. I think that a priority to players, given how taxing this job can be. I mean, it was taxing on, on me and members of the digital team, and it mm -hmm. was easily one-tenth of how taxing it, it can be on a player or a coach. Right. Uh, but I mean, right. You're not being chased it. down by, you know, 300-pound <laughs> yeah. linemen. So. <laughs> right. I wouldn't be here if that was my job. <laughs> right. Nivo, um, you got anything? You want to go for it? Um, well, you know, we can get into, you know, uh, the Julio conversation. I mean, that, I think that that's the most pressing matter, right? Yeah. Which, so what, do you want to call Julio right now and get him to do like Shannon Sharp part two? Or are we just going to run this ourselves? No, I'm not. I'm not as good a friends as Julio where I can just afford to uh, to potentially burn any relationship. I, I get you. him on the phone. He he and I never talk again. Well, <laughs> hey, maybe, maybe we can get him the good word. Maybe the four of us will have a beer a good word soon, right? We can do that. Neville will get you the VIP experience at yeah. good word. Yeah. Next time you go, just tell I, I can do that. Word. I can do that much. I can do that much. But let's just start with this. You know, what is is the latest you're hearing on i mean i i really i think everything's been at a standstill from the time we first learned anything about this you know obviously the stuff on monday happened the way it did and i, I think it really gave particularly the national media because there's a difference in local media you know local media only has a handful of stories to really latch on to so the julio stuff never left our conscience or conscience i guess i should say but for the national media you know it, it was the draft and then it was aaron Rodgers, and then it's whatever and then you look around and you you start to hit this dead period where there really truly is, especially from a national standpoint, like nothing to write about. 
And anytime anything kind of pops up, they're like seagulls flocking to a piece of bread thrown in the air. And that's where we all kind of knew the status quo. It's been a running joke kind of in Falcon's Twitter for the past month and a half, where anytime anybody says anything new about Julio, it's kind of like, none of this is actually new. It's all been said since, frankly, before the draft with the Falcons were entertaining offers at the time we did what they were looking for, but you was a pretty good guess. I mean, all of us were sitting here probably saying, I know I, at least I was like, I don't think the Falcons are going to get a first for Julio unless there are maybe like a player, hey, I guess, but yeah. Hey, well, could you repeat that part? You, you kind of broke up for a second. I just want to make sure it's clear when uh, we need to put this on. Just repeat that last part about um, yeah, what you were hearing about Julio and the value you were thinking about. Yeah. Um, so I, I think, you know, at that time, even when we knew they were discussing trade talks, you could kind of put together what a decent trade package would be for Julio. And I think at the time I was at least saying I didn't think they would get a first in return solely because got a second for Muhammad. And, and I don't know, I think that scares a lot of people. I think the way that Mo turned out in New England, frankly, like the level of talent coming in these days at wide receiver, I would rather use a, a second round pick on a wide receiver than maybe trade a first for a 32 year old Julio. And so I think you can have these thought exercises and come to the conclusion that maybe it's like a second or a third round pick for Julio. Now, that's obviously not what the Falcons would want. And so as we've put these pieces together, I think that's where we are now. We know that Julio, if he want, if he's going to get moved, he wants to be moved to a contender. So that kind of, it's not his call, but I, I don't think the Falcons necessarily, I think they would like to honor his request. And he, I don't even think, frankly, it's, this is an irreparable situation. I could see a scenario playing out where Julio is back, maybe for the 21-21 season. I don't know if he's <laughs> back for training camp per se. I, I I could see a situation where if this lingers on into training camp, like maybe things get a little worse before they get better. But I don't think or not the Falcons are so bent on moving Julio because I actually do think that they are more, they see the benefit of moving Julio more than maybe Julio demands to get out of Atlanta. And even if they can't find exactly what they want, then the question becomes, well, how, how weighting down is this salary cap and how much do you need to move on from Julio Jones? And then are you willing to compromise on what you want to get back? And I think that's the conversation that frankly, the longer further out we go from right now, the the less the Falcons have in leverage until I think training camp. And then you're hoping maybe kind of one of these star receivers gets hurt for the year. And if you're Seattle and DK Metcalf just went down, like, are you picking up the phone and calling Terry Fontenot? And, you know, knock on wood to, to DK Metcalf. But that's the next step I see if they can't get anything done soon. But okay, the longer it takes for a deal to be reached, the more teams so then I'm not going to be the first one to make the offer for a first round pick mm -hmm. you know, unless they absolutely need one. But I think by now they would have already, nothing's changed. Nothing's going to change until people start putting on pads again. And at that point, it's only going to be injured. So mm -hmm. they're, they've got to really start to drum up maybe a competition between two or three teams. But right now it just kind of seems like everything's a little bit dead in the water. And I don't know if that benefits Falcon too. Okay. Now, okay. So I have a question. Um, how vital is it to move? Move on from Julio to be able to sign your rookie class? Yeah. Or is there going to be an, uh, an extension for Grady Jarrett? Is there going to be a restructuring of someone else's contract instead of making it vital to get rid of Julio? There, so there's not really one other player that they could restructure to free up the space. They they mm -hmm. need every penny that they can get. Now, I, I have a million dollars in salary cap space. Mm -hmm. And your average rookie draft class is going to be around like $9 million to sign. So mm -hmm. freeing up Julio or moving on from Julio frees up about $15 million this year in cap space. You could do that with one single move. Now, mm -hmm. the fact that reports came out a few weeks ago that Grady's team had not even yet been approached tells me maybe a couple of things there. And I think maybe the most realistic is Grady's under contract. The team has a good relationship with Grady. He's going to show up to training camp kind of no matter what. He's probably showing up to voluntary or to uh, mandatory mini camp all of that stuff. The the ideal deadline to get Julio moves is before Grady re re reports to camp, frankly. And so I think, because I don't think they're in a rush to extend Grady. Extending guys early is a little bit why we're in this situation to begin mm -hmm. with. And I also think they maybe want to see how Grady will play in this defense and not necessarily overpay for past production when the way they might use him specifically may push down the stats that are kind of the glory stats that we all look to. You know, maybe he, ha he has mm -hmm. less sacks in this scheme because he's being asked to do something a little bit different. 
And at that point, maybe the market for Grady downplays itself a little bit. So do you really want to extend him now when in a year, maybe he's a little bit more affordable or maybe he's not, but then he's at least proven that he is still that worth that money in this scheme. I could mm-hmm. see that very much being, that's the type of conversation I would be having. And if you look at it from, from that perspective, you want to figure out all options with Julio first, but Grady will be in the building soon. And that's when you can really start these negotiations. I, I think that they just, I don't think them not having begun negotiations with Grady's team means that that's flat off the table. I just think it's going to be easier for them to get kind of that deal done when you're able to, when when the guy's in the building, you're able to kind of talk to him. The coach's, mes- me- the coach's message is able to get through to the player. He's back with his teammates. And then the front office is talking with the agent. They're always talking with all these agents. Um, mm-hmm. But there's a little bit of a difference when you've got the player in the building and can really kind of speak with them directly to get all that stuff done. So that kind of is my long answer for as, as to what the situation really looks like. It is right. very much prohibitive with the salary cap. They've got to make one of these moves. And really, it just looks like one of these are the only two on the table. And mm-hmm. I, I think that they're just looking to peruse all their options with Julio first. So and, and just just for like just to put the record out there of what uh, Grady Jarrett's contract is, he is under contract for 2021 and 2022. And 2022 will be his 20. He'll be 29 and 2022. And like, I know especially with semi-rebuild, the Falcons are in a rebuild, but not a rebuild. I don't know how much they want to give a big contract to a 30-year-old, which might also be kind of holding back the extension possibly, right? Yeah. I, I mean, I think I think it comes again down to just, they probably want to see how he performs this year in an ideal scenario. Now, mm-hmm. now I, I think that they would ultimately fine with Grady, but then it may get, it may become a little bit more of a tricky negotiation because like you said, he's going into 29th season um, or 29 year olds. <laughs> <laughs> that would be something. Um, yeah. He's five years ahead of Tom Brady. It's a whole thing. We're all talking about it. Um, now, if you're negotiating now, you're probably length of the deal. Whereas if you're negotiating from a team perspective, you probably want a shorter deal. And now you're more willing to kind of re-up Grady if he continues to form. Mm-hmm. That's where I think the conversation maybe has the most likely chance to go off the road, start negotiating Okay. now. If they start negotiating, they will have somewhat of a sample size on Grady Jarrett playing right now. And, and in his 29-year-old season in this defense to then better have a picture of what he is worth moving forward. He may age really well. He may start, you know, if his quickness goes at all, like I'm not going to bet against Grady Jarrett, incredibly motivated, tough, competitive, technical, like he's a really, really good football player. Not going to bet against him. I just could see the two sides maybe disagreeing about the length of the extension conversation next year with a better idea of where their salary cap is going to stand. Gotcha. Okay. And I just want to go back to Julio for a minute because I, I wanted to see all the options for the salary cap before I threw out this question to you. And I want you to rank these on most possible to least possible. Um, what's the most possible between this? Julio gets traded, Julio comes back, or Julio gets released? I would put it in that exact exact order. He's not okay. he's not getting released. You because you can transfer his guaranteed salary in a trade now. It's it's a little bit more like basketball where mm-hmm. In previous years, the team that signed the contract was on the hook for all the guaranteed money through signing bonus, prorated bonuses, all of that stuff. The guaranteed salary can be transferred. So if they release him, since it's guaranteed money, you know, somebody might claim Julio through waivers, but it would honestly behoove them not to because you're probably able to then maybe sign him to a better deal, a, a longer mm-hmm. term deal, and then as a free agent and whatever. But if if he doesn't clear waivers, the Falcons are then on the hook for that base salary of 15 million and all the money that we're talking about for the future. So that's worst case scenario because now you don't have Julio Jones and you have all of his money still on the book. So I can almost yeah. guarantee that's not going to happen. <laughs> I still think the team and the player for... They want a trade to obviously be the deal. Now, I just, again, it all comes down to what are the Falcons willing to accept and are they able to get the deal that they want? Um, and I don't know, maybe Julio can play a factor in that. I'm speculating here, but if Julio reaches out to a certain team and say, hey, look, I'll sign an extension with you guys. If they sign a one or two year extension, you guys can have me for the next three, four, five years. Um, but is the team even going to want to do that? Because Julio's age is kind of prohibitive as well now. So I'm that's all speculation, but it's what everybody's probably talking about in, in the rooms. How do we be creative? How do we get what we want in return? 
because that's kind of all that the Falcons are really looking at right now is what are we going to get back for Julio? And that is the massive question. Right. Um, Austin, you got anything or want me to keep asking? Well, I, yeah, no, the, by the way, thank you. Well, this is great insight. Um, yeah. Super appreciate it. Once again, my thing is, is I wonder is Julio maybe uh, making stakes here? And what I mean by that is like, you have Arthur Smith, who's an offensive crew. You have Terry Fontenot, who's bringing in a new system, a new, or well, not a new system, but a new ideology, a new plan, a new strategy. Like you really have like a fresh start in addition to the only quarterback you've ever had in the NFL, who's still pretty good. And in a system that, again, is going to cater to you and your skills and strengths. Um, and you can still compete right? Because Drew Brees is now officially out of New Orleans as of today. So in theory, you're the second best team in the NFC South right now with a chance to maybe get a playoff spot next year. Obviously, a lot has to go right for that to happen. But I guess my question is, is like, is there any way in which Julio stays and is happy and or that ends up being the best case scenario for both teams? Because in my opinion, if you look at the available teams that might be willing to trade for Julio, two of them apparently have taken themselves out of the running as of today, right? The Rams and the Ravens are both out because apparently Tennessee wants in and now Seattle with the possibility of pairing with DK Metcalf is very enticing. So that's my question is like, is there any way in which Julio stays and is happy and everybody's happy as a result of staying? Or is it just like, I'm unhappy. I don't care who's the coach, who's the GM. I want out completely. Like, don't even call me to come to camp or whatever. I'm not doing it. No, I, I definitely, there's there's a lot to unpack there. So let me do this in a, in a couple of different ways. So to answer your first question, is there a possibility? Absolutely. I think there is a possibility. I think that any frustrations that, that Julio and, and his team may have with the organization probably stems from, you know, we've seen reports that it was that 2019 extension conversation that happened that obviously happened with the previous regime. And so I don't think Julio is the type of person to harbor any ill will towards Terry Fontenot and Arthur for past sins. And I have no idea what his relationship is with Arthur Blank. I, I think Arthur holds Julio in the highest possible regard. I I have no idea how Julio thinks of, of Arthur. So I, I won't even kind of touch that. But as I, I think what you said in theory is doing a lot of work when saying that the the Falcons are the second best team in the NFC South. I, I think that I'm, I would not be shocked. And frankly, I kind of expect and hope to be proven wrong. But I also feel a duty to maybe be a the, the voice of reason, the contrarian, the just kind of nitpick everybody's optimism. And I understand the optimism because it I, Arthur Smith, is a good hire. I did a, a piece for the Falcolic, I think it was last week, basically looking at, at why the Falcons are are right to bet on offense if they do want to succeed early. Basically, it shows that over the past like six seasons, offensive success translates to a a playoff berth more than defensive success. And Arthur Smith had like the fifth highest jump in DVOA uh, of any coordinator on the year prior he that he took over for offensive coordinator. And then the first year he was offensive coordinator and the Titans jumped up like 24 spots or something. But he's the only person with Sean McVay on that list to then have a top five ranked DVOA in their second year after making a big jump the first year. I think he does have plenty of talent to work here. I, I think, you know, you can maybe quibble with the offensive line or running back situation, but he's probably in just as good a, a deal as, as he was in Tennessee. My question though is, I don't think the defense has gotten any better. I, I don't think that the talent on this roster matches up with even Carolina or New Orleans. I mean, so I would just push back and say, if the Falcons are second in, the, in this division, I won't be surprised. It will just mean that they nailed their coaching hires, which is awesome. But if we're looking at anywhere that Julio, you know, right now you said two two teams were kind of pulled out of it, the Rams and, and the Ravens, both playoff contenders. The Seahawks, who we're talking about, playoff team last year. The Titans and the Patriots, kind of the two teams now really linked to Julio. Playoff contender, Bill Belichick, and they also had, what, five starting defensive players from a historic number one defense the year prior sit out last year. So even among the teams that Julio is probably eyeing, eyeing or the teams that are at least interested in Julio, I think the Falcons are kind of clearly at the bottom of those lists. And, and that's just from a talent perspective. So is he doing the wrong thing? Only time will tell. What I try to do is understand where he's coming from. 
And I think that he understands his age, only he knows how long he wants to continue to play this game. But knowing how competitive he is, I'm not going to begrudge the guy if he wants to say, look, you guys are trend or heading in a new direction. I get that. God bless. Thanks for the memories. These next couple of years, I want to go win some football games. If you guys are a year away, maybe I can't afford to bet on that anymore. I need to stop being out of the mix by October. And if if that's how he feels, then I don't. Okay. Um, okay. You got it. So yeah. last last thing on Julio, then we're going to talk a little bit more just Falcon, uh, a little more broad Falcon. Um, your prediction, where do you think, let's hypothetically he gets traded. Where would he get traded and what would be the return? Um, hmm. I, I like my, my heart kind of is, is leaning towards Tennessee just because I don't know. I, I find the AJ Brown, Julio Jones, like mentorship thing, super endearing. <laughs> and just, just for kind of like, I don't know, AJ Brown's happiness. I don't know the dude. I've never met him. Like, but he seems like a good guy. And just for him to get what he wants, I, I could see that being like, like a huge deal. And somebody's like, like, let's just say the person that you've always looked up to in your life, it's like, oh, they might join this team. You would just be thrilled. And so just as a young kid kind of trying to make a name for himself in the NFL, if if Julio Jones, who is his favorite player of all time, joins his team and is playing the same position, like that's a success story to me. So my heart wants to lean that way. But my head, I I think I think New England is really kind of sneakily in on this. And again, I know nothing on that front. I can't, I'm not reporting anything, but it just, it kind of makes a little bit of sense. Like I said, again, the defense is going to be getting a lot of guys back. They're still a very good defense. I think Bill is a player or is a coach who has always understand the value of like game-changing players. He he utilizes, through, throughout the years, he's utilized very versatile players, but he's never kind of shied away at maybe trying to add a game-changing type of player, somebody who can just tilt the game with their mere presence. You know, even guys like Darrell Rivas on the defensive side of the players like that like he doesn't he's not necessarily afraid to take a chance he was going to take a chance on antonio brown he took a chance on rainy moss you know these guys Mm -hmm. who who can be game changers especially a wide receiver i think bill kind of likes especially we all know his draft history at the position and this is a clear clear top need for the new england patriots i know cam and julio have a, a decent relationship with each other i know they like one another and i could see julio understanding that maybe my best place to win a Super Bowl is is in New England. I know they had a down year last year, but until proven wrong, they're still the preeminent dynasty of the past two decades. Tom's not there, but if Julio believes in Cam, he could sign off on that. So, Or even Mac Jones. I mean, Alabama connection is there, even though it's like a decade apart. Mm-hmm. Or even even Mac Jones. So if I was going to if I was going to do a trade package, I would maybe say this is and this is <laughs> tough because I'm, I'm here I for it. I'm here for it. I love mock trades. They're fun. Well, I don't know. I don't know New England's like draft capital off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. So I may be just speaking out of turn, but I, I could see him trying to get creative and maybe not want to give up a first, but give up a set and a fifth this year and a second next year. Say you that know? one but, more but time. But even then, maybe like a second this year, a, a day three pick this year, and then a second next year. So a, okay. So two seconds, one of which is a future, and then a day three pick this year. But but again, are the Falcons gonna? Are they going to value that? Is that what they're looking for? And if like, to me, that's a reasonable trade. It's not where you get lost in this is it's Julio Jones. And and so when you look at the numbers and you're just like, well, that doesn't seem like a lot. And then you look at it and it's like, well, but we're giving up Julio Jones. That's where it's much harder to pull the trigger if you're the one giving up Julio Jones. But if we're looking at this as it's Julio Jones, and then what you're getting is two seconds, a day three and $15 million and all of your draft picks being able to be signed and your cap space being cleared next year a little bit and your cap space definitely being cleared in two years a lot. That's where I think they really need to start factoring in this because we're giving up and and that's why they're making this move ultimately. So the draft capital is not, not to say it's a cherry on top, but it's almost a little bit of a cherry on top because we know why money off the book. It's just how big of a cherry you got. All right. Um, cool. No, thank you for that. Um, all right. So let's just talk a little more just, you know, broad Falcons right now because, you know, we yeah. love talking Falcons. Um, let's just go back to the draft. You know, I know everyone's favorite pick was Kyle Pitts. You know, obviously you're getting a dynamic player who might be potentially replacing Julio Jones. But outside of Kyle Pitts, who was your favorite draft? Uh, Richie Grant. I think the dude can play. I think he's going to be really, really good in this league. I think he's got like really great versatility. Um, he can make plays on the ball. I think that with what Dean Pisa said he wants to do and that he wants to disguise coverages, he wants to bring close to the line, have them drop back into coverage. He wants to bring blitzes from everywhere. He needs guys to move all over the field, play multiple spots. That's Richie Grant. 
and he can kind of do a little bit of everything. Uh, he, he is good at rushing the passer. He's a good tackler. He's good in coverage. He's a different type of safety than what the Falcons have had over the years. He reminds me a little bit more of like DeMonte Casey a, a little bit. If DeMonte had probably a little bit more bulk to him. Yeah. And that just excites me. I think that's a really good pick, especially because they traded back in the second mm-hmm. round to then still pick him up. So I, I like him a lot. I also, I'm higher on Jalen Mayfield than B. I think that he was just really clean when I watched him play. He may have not, you know, run dudes to the sideline and thrown him out of bounds, but he understood just angles and where to place his body to make his job as easy as possible on himself, which is a big thing with offensive linemen. You know, don't do extra work. Just let them kind of do your work for you by you put yourself in their position. They just run into a wall and and that's all you need is just wall them off. And so I think he has a very good floor for the Falcons to build on. And I know they've said they'll, they'll take a look at guard with him, but I don't think they're afraid to maybe kick him out and have him be a swing tackle for Mm -hmm. the first couple of years. If, if guard is just not where he's at, because he's the guy waiting for when Jake Matthews, uh, when his time is up at this organization and maybe then Jalen Mayfield is kind of your reserve tackle for two, three years and slides into that role and you've got progression. So, um, and, and I'm sorry if I didn't hear this, uh, Richie Grant, do you project them to be, you know, a second round pick is probably going to start, but do you project them to start at free safety or strong? You know, I think, I think starter will be a little bit of a misnomer in both this offense and this defense. I think that it's frankly like, that's just how the league is going a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't be shocked if, you know, we see Eric Harris and Deron Harmon maybe out there wow. early on. Um, but because one of the, one of the tones and, and themes, and it's really early, like that, this is, mm-hmm. that's a much better question around training camp, obviously, mm-hmm. because we haven't even seen these guys out on the field yet. Right now it's all, it's all rookies and it's all voluntary and they're, they're not really doing much of anything. So a big theme of, of our three, you know, we're, we're really taking it slow with everybody. We understand that they've got to earn these, that they've got to learn these schemes. They've got to earn their roles. We've got to get them just up to speed on the fundamentals of how we do things. They're setting the culture first. It's, you know, you're running to and from each drill when we are doing stretches. Here's what we expect from you. You know, here's equipment that you have to have every single, like they're still on part one. And it's really just who's able to over the obstacle in front of them every single day. And then in two months from now, the people that have been able to do that, those are the guys where, you know, if Richie Grant just masters everything they put in front of him and then he gets on the field and he balls, he may be a day one starter. But if he, Mm -hmm. if he's struggling now, that alone could inhibit whether he gets out on the field and starts balling, you know, they may, from a culture perspective, say, you've got to get kind of everything buttoned up before we trust you enough to be out there on the field and being out there on the field is privilege. I don't know if that's what Arthur Smith, you know, what he's going to say, but that's the vibe that I've gotten from him and, and what he wants. Sure, you, know, you know, what's expected, go do what's expected. If you don't do that, then that's a different conversation and there will be a, a price to pay for that. So it, I, I wouldn't be shocked if some veterans are out there. That being said, I think that this especially is going to be a defense that just rolls guys in and out. And, mm-hmm. you know, the more that they're able to have guys that can do multiple things and the more of those guys that there are, that's going to be the ideal defense that Dean Pease wants to play. Okay. No, thank you. Um, and like, I'm going to ask you a fantasy question because, you know, we are, we do love our fantasy football. <laughs> now, like, you know, we, we valued, you know, the players in the Falcons offense. Like right now, Calvin Ridley's value is going to the roof mm-hmm. um, just because Bruno was having Julio. But, you know, Calvin Ridley, um, Kyle Pitts, Mike David, Hayden Hurst, all these players, which player do you think will have the most value in a fantasy, in like a fantasy draft? Um, that's a good question. I, I don't, I don't think it's Calvin Ridley. In fact, I think Calvin Ridley probably has, and let me preface this by saying I've had Calvin Ridley on my fantasy team the past two seasons. And honestly, I don't even know if there's as fun a fantasy player because there will be days where he has just like 125 yards and two touchdowns. And I don't think we think of him as like that type of play. Like we think of Julio Jones at his peak, getting you those types of games. Calvin routinely has like two touchdown games, and that alone will win you your week because two touchdowns is 30 points Mm -hmm. with 40 yards, you know, like that's so, but I, I say all of that understanding that Calvin may match his value. Like he's actually one of probably the bets where he might still, Like you think of the top tight ends, like you're overdrafting Travis Kelsey, but he's still Travis Kelsey. So you're happy with that. Calvin might fall in that. But if he's a top 10 pick 
which he might be in some leagues because people are going to look at Julio not being there and they're going to say, well, Calvin did this last year. He's going to do this this year. He probably will be overdrafted. And that's probably if Julio gets traded, like that's the reason why. But I think I think he'll be overvalued for the simple reason that he did a lot of that without Julio on the field. So I don't know if the numbers are going to shoot up exponentially because they already shot up exponentially last year. This is probably just where he's at. And I got him last year at like 45. So getting mm-hmm. him at nine this year is probably a reach. I think Kyle Pitts is going to go very high. So for that reason, reason I think Hayden Hurst probably has the best value. I think I'm okay. I'm a big fan of getting tight ends late in the draft. I'm a, mm-hmm. I'm a big fan of maybe a year two, year three. Like for instance, I had Darren Waller a couple of years ago, um, kind of for his breakout year. Um, the year before that I had, oh, well, you know, I, I'm not going to list all the tight ends of draft over the years because I can't remember. I'll take them. I'll but take I, I got the Darren Waller, I got the Darren Waller right win. So um <laughs> But, but I'm a big fan of getting guys in, in seventh, eighth, ninth round at tight end mm-hmm. and just identifying guys who are under the radar. And mm-hmm. I think Hayden Hurst will honestly even be there after that. But I mm-hmm. know, you know, I was, I was listening to what Arthur Smith said today. They still seem to have pretty big plans for Hayden Hurst. And he's, he's a good player. He's a good athlete. If he's now your fourth or fifth option on a play, that's one of the best mm-hmm. fourth or fifth options in the league. And I think they're going to use Kyle Pitts differently than maybe we expect them. And even if he's an inline tight end, that's going to probably draw coverage so much over to his side that now you've first with a mismatch. I'm probably the slower linebacker or, you know, maybe a, a deep safety. And, and that gives Hayden just the, the chance to run that seam. So I don't think he's going to maybe put up the highest tight end number one or tight end one numbers, but he'll definitely have value. Like he would be a high value backup for me. And, and I think that he'll be there and could have a pretty good year. And he's got the upside of a starter. So I would take a gamble okay. on him. Awesome. I just think all the other Falcons players are probably, he usually gets drafted. Gotcha. Awesome. All right. Last question. And then I think we can wrap it up. Also, if you have any, if you have a question after that, please feel free to hop in. Yeah. Mike I have Davis. one or two questions from the bill. You go for it. Mike Davis. Is he, what, how, He's going to be the RB1, most likely, correct? But what do you think his stat line will be? Is he going to be close to 1,000 yards? Whew, that might be the hardest question to, to actually answer because I really like Mike Davis, the player. I really actually like him a follow. But uh, I, yeah, I mean, I'm more bullish, I think, on Mike Davis than, than a lot of people because we saw what he did in Carolina last year. And Carolina doesn't have that good of an offensive line. And the way he runs is obviously very, very different from how they use Christian McCaffrey. So I think that, you know, they're like, there's only so much that a running back can really create for himself on a running play. A lot of it comes down to the offensive line. But what Mike Davis was able to do last year shows me that he can at least get you a minimum amount of yards on a specific play. Now, I don't think he's breaking off the 87-yard runs that Derrick Henry was last year in Tennessee. I just don't think he's that type of player. But I think with improved blocking that Der- that Mike Davis is absolutely smart enough, he's quick enough, he's strong enough, he's got great gravity, um, that he will turn what could be maybe a three, four-yard run into an eight, nine-yard run. And it all comes down then to how consistent is this offensive line? Because if he's getting those opportunities consistently, I think he could have a few, you know, 100-yard game. And and, and if that's the case, maybe you're looking at a 700, 8, 9, 10 touchdowns, which would mm-hmm. certainly be an upgrade over what they've had. But but the downside is also there as well. And then that's not even bringing in the question, how much of a committee where the, will there be? Is there going to be somebody who, you know, is Quadriolison going to break out in training camp and all of a sudden it's kind of a, a running back by committee and, and Corderell Patterson is getting kind of the receiving reps out of the backfield? Or is he getting 10 touches a game? Is he getting Patterson. three touches a game? Like there's so much that that needs to be answered here. I agree right now, Mike Davis looks like the running back one. I think that, you know, he has the skill set. He at least is an average running back in this league. And I think he's probably mm-hmm. two ticks above that. Um, mm-hmm. And so really, if your offensive line is above average, that makes your running back above average. Right. Well, the way I saw it was he's not going to see that many and eight-man if boxes. he's already, you know, not necessarily in between that, that level, then maybe he's an above average running back and you're flirting with, you know, getting close to a thousand yards would be probably his best case scenario. Yeah. Yeah. And sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you there, but no, I also, I see he's not going to see that many eight-man boxes because if you have Calvin Ridley, Kyle Pitts, you know, I dare you to bring a safety in if you if you have that going on. I dare you to do that. <laughs> but that's that is also what we thought the case was going to be with with Todd Gurley this past year, and it mm-hmm. happened a couple of times. But I, again, a lot of it comes down to if you can't can't block against even you know a, a seven man front, then that's yeah. that's tough. <laughs> um, you got anything? No, it's on you, man. 
Cool. Okay. So I just want to say, I mean, I believe two things that in response to what you said just now. One, I believe that Mike Davis had over a thousand all-purpose yards last year. So mm-hmm. I think at the very least, like the Falcons fans can at least hope. I don't know if it's fair to expect, but you can at least hope that he does as much or more this year in regards to that, right? Um, two, you mentioned Derrick Henry. So I do recall in Arthur's open press conference, very first press conference when he was introduced as coach, he did say like, we don't have Derrick Henry here. So obviously when you have a guy like Derrick, it's like having Shaq on you. The game plan goes through him. You have to feed him the ball and you have to make sure that he gets his touches because he can. he's so good that he can dictate it eventually he's going to be able, even if you force it to him, eventually he'll be able to dictate the flow and pace of the game. And so Arthur Smith is fully aware that he doesn't have that here, but obviously he does have other weapons that he can build around. So I think that's an interesting point that you brought up. And I mean, Arthur Smith knows that. So hopefully the Falcons fans can keep their expectations at that same level. Um, I, I asked quick, him that question, by the way. Oh, great. Okay. Perfect. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Um, so then the other thing, and this is a rapid fire question. You just quick yes or no on this. And the bill, feel free to chime in on this too, which is would the Falcons have drafted Kyle Pitts if Julio didn't demand the trade or request a trade? Do we know that? Is that a fair question to ask? Um, I mean, I think I think it's fair to assume that the Falcons knew where they were in all of this. And and it's made me think a little bit about did we, did we overrate the quarterback conversation at four? Because, you know, I even had the thought, and I, I said, depending on how serious the the Falcons were about moving on from Julio. Was there a chance that Jamar Chase was actually the pick at number four instead of mm. Kyle Pitts? Um, I think, and Terry Fondo said his opening press conference, which kind of drew, I think, silent cheers from from some people in the media, uh, was that they were going to look at just taking the best player available on their board. And I think I think it's pretty safe to assume that the Kyle Pitts was, if not number one, well, well up there on their board. And the fact that the Justin Fields kind of dropped to where he did, the fact that Mac Jones kind of dropped to where he did, there were a lot of teams that could have taken a quarterback that ended up passing on those guys. So I don't know if it's safe to assume that even if Julio was all on board, that the Falcons wouldn't still have taken Kyle Pitts because we're all sitting here salivating about what would happen if Julio didn't end up get tra- getting traded. So those, you know, not likely on the way out, that's still, you know, kind of a, a mind blowing accumulation of offensive talent. And that may for that reason still have been the pick. And it's also clear that I, I think Arthur Smith and Terry Fontenot both really like Matt Ryan and think that he still has a few years left. And, and I think we will maybe look back certainly maybe 10, 15 years from now, just with the way that rehabilitation is trending, you know, mindfulness of the body of what you eat, of the way you train. And, and Matt's always been on that from day one, but as technology continues to advance, there's, there's, a world in in 2040 where we're looking back and like man do you imagine when quarterbacks used to retire they're in their 30s and i know matt who knows in in four years we're looking we're looking at all of this and just going like yeah the, matt's about to sign another contract to be here for another three years because he's he just made the pro bowl like I, that's kind of how the quarterback position has evolved over the past decade or so and has been in this league. He was that part of that 2004 draft. 17 years, 17 seasons. He's going on his 18th season. That's in, incredible. Matt's Matt is entering his 14th. Wow. Like like that. If that gives you any insight, Philip Rivers, Eli Manning played 17 seasons. I mean, I'm I don't think it's wrong to necessarily bet on your quarterback when it comes to age. Okay, that's fair. Um, then the only other two quick things I had, and then we'll wrap it up. One is, is there anything else you'd like to add? And in that, please include where people can find you on Twitter because you're a great follower on Twitter. Uh, but yeah, is there anything else you'd like to add about our conversation? And I got one more question for you and then it should be done. Uh, sure. Um, kind of off, off the top of my head, I think that the, the defense again, like is what I believe will hold this team back, but I think there's a good chance that we're going to see some real bright spots on the defense. Uh, particularly if AJ Terrell backs up his really good rookie season, then all of a sudden you're looking at, okay, there's, there's a kind of franchise cornerstone at corner in AJ Terrell. I am very curious to see how the linebackers play uh, in this system and which of them, because I don't even think there's a case be made that linebacker is not the best position group on this defense. And it's pretty likely that at least one of the top four, Deion Jones, Foyer, Dante Fowler, or Michael Walker, I have to believe at least one, probably two make like some leap or jump in this scheme and that it just unlocks another skill in them. So I'm really curious to see which, which of those four 
um, if any, if all that kind of happens with, but those are kind of my two extra thoughts on, on this team that we didn't, we didn't get to. And because nobody's talking about the defense, because I don't think the defense is going to be super, super good. And I'd rather frankly be surprised by a good defensive product out on the field. Let's fly under the radar and then surprise some people. Um, as far as where people can find me, uh, on Twitter at Will McFadden, I've got a weekly podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. That is, you can find that wherever you get your podcasts. And then uh, just writing some stuff at the Falcoholic. I'm actually in the middle of a deep dive on probably like uniform number superlatives in Atlanta history. So what is what is the best uniform number in Atlanta history based on all of the athletes who have worn it? What is probably the most underrated uniform number? What is the uniform number that's been worn most by Atlanta athletes? Just kind of all of that fun stuff. So I'm in the middle of a big deep dive in all of that, but that's probably going to be my next project coming up. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, Look forward to seeing that. Um, last thing I'm going to ask you, how's that beer tasting right now? Has it changed? Is it a little warmed up? Is the flavor notes out a little more? It's not a little warmed up. It, it's just, it's a little flatter. You know, it, it's been sitting for a little bit, but it's still really good. <laughs> okay. Um, and, and your Jersey article, that's across all of our, correct? Does I understand properly? Yep. Okay. It's going to be so then- NFL, MLB, NBA, uh, NHL, MLS, and WNBA. Okay. Nice. So that, that's awesome. a perfect segue into our final question evening. We love to end the show on predictions. That's normally what we do during football season. Obviously, there's no football games right now. But there is a guy who plays for the Atlanta Hawks who's wearing number 11 tonight. And obviously, we know Julio Jones, for the time being, is still number 11 Atlanta. That's how so I got the question- idea. Right. So, uh, and for those of you who can't see, I'm we're recording this right before a pivotal game five in Madison Square Garden. Hell yeah. True to Atlanta all day. Will's got the Hawks shirt on. Nabil, Nabil ain't got it, but I got That's it. That's the throwback. So, right. Didn't get the memo. <laughs> hey, Nabil and I are wearing gray though. So I think at least we're on the same still, you know, but uh, Will, the prediction question for you that we like to end show with is just a prediction. Do the Hawks close it out in Madison Garden tonight? And, or if not, what happens with the rest of the series? <sighs> I'm 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 hoping obviously that they close it out tonight. I'm expecting it to be of all the games probably more like game 1. I don't think I don't be like the ebb and flow match that game 1 was where the Hawks kind of get out to this big lead in in the first half. The Knicks really storm back in the third quarter and then it's a really close kind of back and forth fourth quarter at least late, but I I think it'll be close throughout and then I'm really looking to again see Trey Young, Bogey or there's so many, see, that's the thing about this Hawks team. There's so many other third guys. Is it going to be DeAndre Hunter? Is it going to be Clint Capella? Is it going to be John Collins? Is it Kevin Herter? Like, but Trey, first off, is going to have to hit some big shots down the stretch. And then he's going to need Bogey for sure. And then one of those other like five guys to continue to get some buckets, some rebounds. The big key in their loss in game two, I don't think they got enough rebounds. I think they got just crushed on the glass. I'm told that that's tonight. That hasn't been the case the past couple of games. So that's going to be key tonight. But I think it's going to be tight like game one with some. Somebody, probably Trey, hitting clutch shots down the stretch for a game five win. But obviously, that's the homer in me. (laughs) I wasn't going to come on here and be like, nah, the Knicks crush him coming back to Atlanta. (laughs) Well, believe me, if you did it, you wouldn't be the only one who's done that in the past and gotten a lot of flack from it. So thank you. It's usually the default. That's how it should be. (laughs) Right, right, exactly. Um, Well, no, Will, thank you very much. We're going to stop recording here, but please stay on. We'll just talk some details out in a minute. Um, But thank you all very much for listening. We appreciate it. This has been Bears, Birds, and Brews. This has been our conversation with Will McFadden of the Falcoholic and uh, more to come soon. So thank you all very much. We'll talk to you all next time. Cheers. Cheers.